Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Boldly proclaim, don't be afraid, walk in faith, and then know, here's the ultimate cure for the fear of man. That's the fear of God. And if you really have a reverent fear of God, and you realize that all men were created for eternity, and there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust, man, I'm not afraid of men, I am afraid for them. Today we complete Pastor Sam's message, Sheep in the Midst of Wolves. We're in the 10th chapter of Matthew, and Sam will take up where he left off, starting in verse 26. Here, we hear our Lord preparing us for some of the obstacles we will face when we serve as we have been called. If they hated me, they'll hate you. They love me, they'll love you. He said it elsewhere, he'll say it again. And then he gets to really five different specific obstacles and and, um, well, different issues that we're going to have to deal with. Now, I already mentioned that lots of us are paranoid about sharing because we're afraid someone will ask us a question we can't answer. The real truth is most of us are paranoid about sharing because we're just paranoid about sharing anyway, even if we had the answers. But he, he says point blank, and this would certainly be speaking to some of us here today. Therefore, do not fear them. Don't fear them. What was going to happen to them, and it might happen to you, they were going to be falsely accused, misunderstood, misquoted. They were going to be brought up and and accused of things they never said and never did and never intended. And he's saying, when that happens, listen, this obstacle, fear, it is a natural and normal human response. In fact, when you get that adrenaline rush, most of you know this, it's for fight or flight. You're either going to fight your way out of there or you're going to get hightail your way out of there. And either way, fear produces the adrenaline for the fight or the flight. And so he says, do not fear them. Why? There's nothing covered that will not be revealed nor hidden or hidden that will not be made known. He's saying the truth will come out. If you tell the truth and people call you a liar, ultimately they're going to have to acknowledge you told the truth. If you love them and they hate you back, eventually they're going to have to acknowledge that you love them even though they hated you back. And so he's saying you got to overcome the fear. Now there's a practical way that we do this and he gives us that in just another verse or two. But he says, what I tell you in the dark, first of all, in verse 27, speak in the light and what you hear in the ear in the ear, preach it on the housetops. So he's saying, boldly proclaim, don't be afraid, walk in faith, and then know, here's the ultimate cure for the fear of man. That's the fear of God. And if you really have a reverent fear of God, and you realize that all men were created for eternity, and there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust, man, I'm not afraid of men, I am afraid for them. I'm concerned about what's going to happen to them. And because of my love for God and my knowledge of God, because I know he's a just God. Yes, he's merciful, but his mercy can only be extended to one willing to receive it. And when someone hardens their heart and mocks the Lord and refuses to repent, they put themselves in a position of facing a certain judgment. And so he says, don't fear them. But but he says, do fear the Lord. Don't fear those who kill the body, verse 28, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. 
Now that word destroy is an unfortunate translation for this reason. It almost implies to one who really doesn't know the entirety of what the Bible teaches about death and the afterlife that maybe there's some form of annihilation. That word destroy cannot and does not and never means in scripture annihilate. You know, your kids can destroy your house. You leave them alone for 10 minutes, you're on the phone, you come back, and you say, man, you've destroyed the living room. But it's not annihilated, it's just a mess. It's just a wreck. It's just devastated. And truly, that's what happens to the soul that rejects Jesus. A mess, devastated, you know, but, but not annihilated. No, when Jesus says, resurrection of the just and the unjust, some to everlasting Life, some to everlasting destruction, everlasting judgment, everlasting torment. Listen, you can't have one without the other. You can't have everlasting life, but say, but I don't believe in everlasting judgment. I don't believe God would judge people for eternity. I don't believe that, that he would allow people to suffer. Well, he said he will. And who are we to question the righteousness and justice of God? The judge of the whole earth will do right. And so he says, here's the cure for the fear of man. Fear the Lord. Fear what will happen to men if they don't repent. Fear for them, but don't be afraid of them. So our first, and I believe, greatest obstacle in rightly representing the Lord is often just fear. It's self-consciousness. It's, it's self-absorption. And he's saying, get your eyes off you. Get them on the Lord and then on the work he's called you to and, and given you to do. Now, he goes on then to say, Are not two sparrows, verse 29, sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Therefore, do not fear them. You are of more value than many sparrows. He uses two illustrations. He says, look at a sparrow. You could buy him for a penny in that day. And he says, they're of enough value to God that not one can fall to the ground. In one passage, he says, without him taking notice. Here he says, apart from his will. He won't let a sparrow fall that, that he hasn't allowed that or willed it. And he's saying, how much more value are you than a sparrow? Well, infinitely more. You were created in the image of God. You were created for fellowship and worship, fellowship with and worship of God. You were created by and for him. And you're unique among all of creation. So he's saying, listen, you are of more value than many, many sparrows. So our obstacles, well, they're given to us fear. And we overcome fear by faith. And then he says in verses 32 and 33, we really only have two options. This may apply more today to those of you who've yet to commit your life than any other portion, so pay close attention. Whoever confesses me, verse 32, before men, him will I confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Let's deal with the immediate context. When they would be accused when they would be arrested, when they would be brought up on charges and placed in a tribunal or in a council, they had an option. Well, they had two, the two that are presented here. They could confess Jesus before those men or they could deny Jesus before those men. 
Now, what he's telling these followers, these disciples, is it's not enough to follow after me now. When you go out for me, you're going to have to represent me. And if you say you believe in me here, but you deny you believe in me there, well, I'm questioning if you really believe in me at all. You see, to confess biblically means way more than to say, I did it. That's sort of how we see the word, you know. You're busted, and almost everyone will confess once they're busted. There are a few people, though, that will deny even when they're caught red-handed. But he's saying, you need to confess me before men. What, what that means is to say what Jesus says about himself. To confess means to say the same thing. So here's how it works. If I confess that I'm a sinner, I'm not just acknowledging and admitting that I sin. No, I do that and you do it too. But I'm acknowledging that all that the Lord teaches concerning sin, to confess that I'm a sinner means that I'm confessing I'm a sinner and my sin has separated me from God. And unless someone, God does something about that, I will forever be separated from him because of my sin. And that would be just and right. That I would end up in hell and that would be actually just. But because of God's great love, he sends his son to die for my sin. Now it becomes just for him to forgive me if I confess my sin. If I acknowledge that, yes, I've sinned and it's separated us and I'm guilty and I'm worthy of death. I'm worthy of hell. But Lord, forgive me. Receive me. I want to make you my Lord and my Savior. That's what it means to confess that you're a sinner. And to confess him as Lord, it means all that he taught, that he's God the Son, that he is sinless, that he died a substitutionary sacrifice, was buried and rose again the third day, that he ascended into heaven, and that that same Jesus is coming again to establish his kingdom on this earth. When you confess him as Lord, it means you're his servant. And so if he says, if you confess it, Confess me before men. And we take it out of its context often and, and say, well, you need to make a public profession of your faith in Christ. Well, they were doing that under serious duress and times of persecution and tribulation. In many cases, at the cost of their very lives. And he goes on to tell us, hey, don't worry about that. Don't worry about the one that can take your life but can't cast you into hell. That's that. He's the one to fear. That's the one to be concerned about. So... Have you confessed the Lord in a practical way? It's an important question. Have you said, Jesus, you are the Lord, and, and not just to him, but to others. Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. Because then the question can be asked, well, then are you living for the Lord? Are you yielded to the Lord? Are, are you just learning about him, or are you becoming like him? Are you representing him? So the two choices, the two options, is to confess or deny. It can't just be words, though. It has to be words and deeds. Because if I say I believe, but I live like an unbeliever, or if I confess that he's Lord, but I live my own life and set my own course and do my own thing, I'm denying in my actions what I'm saying with my words. We have a word for that. Something none of us want to be called. Hypocrite. It's a horrible word. Its initial uh, use was just speaking of one that wore a mask. In the Greek plays they'd have the mask with the sad face and then they'd put on the mask with the happy face and and they called them hypocrites they were just actors there was no negative or positive connotation to it but the word came to mean one who wears a mask who plays a part who pretends to be something he's not or she's not and so he says well if you confess me before men i will confess you before my father in heaven but whoever denies me before men I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think, he goes on to say, as he deals now with our opposition, 
that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes will be those of his own household. Now, don't misunderstand. When he says, I come to bring a sword to cause division, Jesus is all into family. God brought Adam and Eve together, the first marriage. Their children, the first family. God says he desires a godly seed. And so he's for the family. He is the creator of the family, has a plan to make families flourish by the way and work. But what he's saying here is inevitably, when you come with the message that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that there's no hope outside of him, that it doesn't matter if you have a Jewish background or a Catholic background or even a Protestant background, it doesn't matter if you have a Buddhist or a Hindu background or, or if you come from, from Islam. What matters is what have you do, done with and what are you doing about Jesus? And when you share that reality, he says, that will cause division in the family. I already mentioned, you know, what has happened to some. And, and certainly, certainly in that day when someone came and said, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. Put out of the family locked out of the family business, deprived of their inheritance. Hey, there was a lot to lose for them. And that's why he's forewarning them. Hey, this is what you're going to face. This is what you're going to experience. This is what's going to go down. Now, I had a rather interesting experience with my own dad. We, we didn't have the normal father-son thing growing up. We partied together, and I blame all that on him because he was older. But um, I, I should have and could have known better, but... But anyway, what happened to me, and it was so bizarre because when I became a Christian, my dad was very hostile to that, that transformation and very angry and frustrated and weird toward me initially. And I didn't understand it till years later when he became a Christian himself and he shared the story with me. What had happened is when I was about to be born, I, I was in Atlanta, Georgia, 1950. That's when I was born. My mom had tuberculosis. Lots of people died in that generation from tuberculosis. And giving birth to a baby when you were in a serious stage, well, that was even more dangerous. So it was not only possible she would die, but possible I would die or that I'd be born real ill or deformed or not all right. And, and, and uh, there's still some question as to if I am all right. But for the most part, here's what happened. My dad went and he prayed. He'd grown up sort of a nominal Christian background, been to church enough to know who God was and that God loved people and answered prayer. And so he prayed and he said, God, if you'll just make my wife okay and make my little boy okay, I'll serve you from this point on all the days of my life. Well, my wife, I mean his wife, not mine, my mom, she was okay. It's going to be a spacey third service if I'm this spaced by second, I'll tell you. But, but she was okay. I mean, they sent her to a sanitarium, not a loony bin. You know, it's a different kind of sanitarium. You can't say loony bin anymore, can you? Political correctness. I don't even know what you call it if it's not a loony bin. But, but, uh, I get all my, you know, background from movies like Strange Brew. But, but, uh, but anyway, what happens is they send her to this place. They send me to the grandparents. And over time, she heals up. They cure her of her tuberculosis. They had to test me regularly to make sure I didn't have it. But, but everything was okay. The bad part is my dad never served the Lord. He reneged on his promise. He said, Lord, I'll give you my life. I'll serve you all the days of my life. He never did it. Then when I become a Christian and I come and I'm like, Dad, have you heard that there's more than going to church twice a year? They got this whole thing where you can know the Lord and, and serve the Lord and grow in the Lord and be like the Lord. And I'm born again. And Dad, I want you to be born again. And he was so angry and so hostile and so just, I never saw him like that. 
Not in all those years that I, I, I knew him and grew up. I was 27 years old. And what happened, of course, is that he was thinking, and man, I should be saying this to you. I, I made a promise and I didn't fulfill it. So all of that guilt and all of that stuff, it just rushed back on him, caused him to respond inappropriately to the good news I was sharing with him. And some of your relatives may be like that as well. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know where they've struggled, what they've promised, where they failed. So the bottom line is, you share what God's done for you. You share the simplicity of the gospel, and then you let them watch God change your life. Ultimately, that was the thing. That's what did it for my dad. That's what did it for my wife. It wasn't how much I knew or how much I learned or how many scriptures I could quote from memory. It wasn't impressive to them. They didn't care. They only wanted to see, was I for real? Was Jesus for real? Was I really changing? And that's what your friends, your family your neighbors, that's what they want and need to see as well. Well, he tells us our obstacle, fear, and our options, confess or deny. He gives us our opposition, and he says it, it, it very well may be your own family. And then he goes on to, to give us our obligation. And, and it's so important. You notice that he talks about family. And you know God loves families, that he wants whole families to be saved. But he tells us here, if we love father or mother more than him... Well, let me read it so I'm quoting him accurately. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, you know that Jesus wants you to love and respect your parents. In fact, let me tell you something if you're unaware. If you have parents that are getting older, the Bible says you're to honor them. And that word honor is teme, and it actually speaks of physical support. Not just admiration and respect, but care and provision. They raised you, they provided for you, and in their older years, they have every right and should have an expectation that you would do the same for them. I know that's foreign in this culture. That's why I'm passing it on. Because in places where there aren't, I mean, the Christian population, 0.5, less than half of a percent in Japan, parents take care of their parents. And, and, you know, kids live with their parents and their grandparents and the whole family's there. And and there's something wrong when a Christian, supposed Christian nation, when we just kind of shove them out or push them away or, or try to, you know, here's something for you. No, the the thing is, is, is it's like we need to love them. But we can't love them more than we love the Lord. And in the context of all that he's sharing, he's saying if it gets hostile, if it gets brutal, if they're rejecting you and they're saying, well, you've got to make a decision. It's him or us. Well, it has to be him. It has to be him. If it divides the family, you've got to walk with Jesus. But know this, his ultimate goal is that the whole family would walk with him, that they would see you and and see you becoming the person that he wants you to be and that they could see his mercy and his forgiveness and his compassion in you. But he says, if we're not willing to put him first, we're not worthy of him. And if we're not willing to take up our cross and follow him, well, we're not worthy of him. In that context, in that day, you got to know it. Jesus has not yet gone to the cross when he's speaking these words, of course. He hasn't been crucified. So their whole context of the cross is criminals. And he's saying, in essence, if you're not worthy or willing to, to be evil treated, to be, you know, maligned, to be persecuted, to be rejected, if you're not willing to deny yourself and take up your cross, 
to be misunderstood, to be misquoted, to be abused as, hey, that's what they did to Jesus. He says, don't expect any less. He says, then you won't be worthy of me. You're not worthy of me. And then he says, the one who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. He's sort of a paradox, but all he's really saying is if you're living your life for you, you'll never find the life that he's intended for you. We were sharing with the staff just the, the other day at the staff meeting that even God can't fill a full cup. And if your cup's full of you, selfishness, self-consciousness, self-righteousness, self-whatever, that's all people are going to see and get. We need to empty ourselves and be full of Jesus. And, and uh, truly, that's where we find our life when we live not for ourselves, but for him and for others. Finally, he deals with rewards, and this directly relates to our oneness with him. The one who receives you, he who receives you, he says, receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. And he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. He's saying, look, if they receive you, they're receiving me. If they reject you, they're rejecting me. When Saul was on the road to Damascus to arrest Christians and have them imprisoned, Jesus approaches him, meets with him, speaks to him, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He saw and, and, and sensed and felt the persecution that Saul was placing on people. Jesus took it personally. And you got to know that happens to you. When you're persecuted, when you're ridiculed, when you're mocked, when you're rejected, when you suffer for his name's sake, for the gospel's sake, for righteousness' sake, Jesus takes that personally. And he promises not only to well, help you endure it, but to bless you in it and then reward you for it. And he says, look, if you receive a prophet, whatever part you might have in the work of ministry, well, we don't really receive a lot of prophets. We don't well, you know, he who receives a righteous man. We might, we might liken this to taking care of missionaries or traveling ministries or ministers. And, and he's saying you share in their reward. Many of you support missionaries there in Asia, throughout India, into Pakistan, into Afghanistan, through Gospel for Asia. Perhaps you're involved in other missionary outreach. We're involved in a lot of different areas in the world right now. And he's saying, we're going to share in their reward. They're going to be rewarded for their work. We're a part of it. We're going to stand before the Lord. And there's going to be a reward for that work. Then he says, Hey, if all you do is give a cup of cold water, hey, that will not go unnoticed. You will by no means lose your reward. Well, it brings us to the close of all this for today. And let me just ask you, have you confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior? Or are you denying that he is the Lord and the Savior of the world? Because ultimately, that will be the issue. If you're a believer, the question isn't just, do you confess him here? But do you confess them before men? Do you say it and live it so that they can see it? And if you're an unbeliever, listen, you have to make a decision today. You have to decide, is Jesus the Lord? Is he the way, the truth, and the life? Or, or did he lie? Was he deceived and a deceiver? Because Jesus is either who he claimed to be and did what he came to do, or, or well, we don't have hope in Jesus. And I proclaim to you that Jesus is the Son of God, 
that he was born of the Virgin Mary, that he lived a sinless, spotless life, that he died a substitutionary sacrifice, that he was buried, that he rose again, that he's coming again, and that Jesus will forgive your every sin today. But you need to open your heart and say, Lord, forgive me. Be my Lord and Savior. I am a guilty sinner. I confess I'm a sinner. I confess you as Lord, and I receive you right now. Some of the most effective evangelism I have ever seen has come from Christians who simply praise and thank God in a way that others can hear. Psalm 3012 says, To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and never be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. As long as David's heart remained full of gratitude, he could never stop talking about the Lord. And for those who do not feel that evangelism is their gift or they struggle with sharing their faith, openly praising Jesus could be a great place to start. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.